0: Welcome to The Mind Killer, the rationalist brain on politics. As always, I'm Wesley Fenza.
1: I'm Ian Ashbrotsky. And I'm David.
0: Today, we're going to be talking about a couple of Supreme Court decisions, uh, some stuff that's been going on with Reddit, and some, co- some new COVID news, and as always, happy news and troop deployments. We're going to start out with some feedback from our last episode, and Eniash, I think you had something to share with us.
1: Uh, It was me, actually.
0: Okay. David, you had something to share with us.
1: Yes. Uh, So, a user on the Reddit, uh, which I actually don't frequent very often, but this one was reposted to the Discord. Uh, So if you post something on Reddit, don't expect me to see it. but a, uh, a uh, um, listener on Reddit uh, posted um, a uh, really long post that I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically um, saying that it was sad how we had um, such low expectations for our government and uh, that it made us seem kind of hopeless. And... Uh, So I wanted to address this for three reasons. First, because I think at least Wes would uh, contest that characterization. Um, Got anything to say about that?
0: Um, Yeah, I certainly am pro-government on a lot of things. You know, I'm in favor of government-provided health care, government redistribution. I think that it is kind of inevitable that when the government gets involved in something, it is going to make it um, certainly not as good as we imagine. So that should be baked into any assumptions. But I still think when you make that assumption, there's plenty of things that the government is, um, it, that is certainly worth having the government do.
1: Um, so, yeah, that was uh, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up. The other was that I'm hopeless about governments because, uh, well, I think it's because uh, I understand the basic logic of special interest politics, though, again, I'm sure my co host would uh, dispute that, um, uh, but I'm not hopeless about people. I think people are at their worst in the political arena and if they're terrible there then that doesn't mean that people are terrible or that society is doomed uh, although I will be talking about that during my um, <laughs> uh,
0: troop deployment this week I mean, society's doomed but this isn't why
1: yes, uh, quite uh, well, it's kind of why but we'll, we'll get to that we'll burn that bridge when we get to it um, uh, the last thing I wanted to say was just that I have a thing I've experienced where I've been going through the backlogs of podcasts and I've really wanted to engage with something in an episode that came out two years ago. And I'm not speaking for my co-hosts here, but I want to say unequivocally for myself, if you're going through the backlog and you're listening to this in 2024 or whatever and there's something you want to talk about, please, please, please bring it up. Uh, I emphatically encourage people who are catching up to the show uh, to feel free to discuss what you're listening to, not just the latest episode that's come out. um, Because the fact that you didn't happen to hear about this show until the interesting thing we talked about had already been... uh, had uh, already happened years ago does not mean that you should be unfairly excluded from that conversation uh so if my co-hosts have anything to say about that they're welcome to but that is uh my personal preference that you should be to um discuss what we discuss in any particular episode regardless of chronology
0: yeah i agree with that comment about whatever you want.
2: Sure. I think this is one of the reasons I like fiction a lot, because like they just read the diamond age over at the doof book club and that was put out like 30 years ago. And yet you can still read it now. It's a good story and you can talk about it and it has very political themes in there. So uh, fiction tends to age better than current event shows for the particular reason that, uh, you know, current event shows are about current events. But Yeah, uh, feel free to bring up uh, anything in the future as well, and David will totally get back to
0: you. (laughs) Okay. All right, so moving on into our news stories. Uh, The first one I wanted to cover was a couple of stories from the Supreme Court. Um, We've been covering a lot of Supreme Court stories recently, but they've been just handing down decisions every week. And this week we have them striking down a restrictive abortion law. And this is important because this is a Louisiana law, and they struck down an almost identical law in a different state, I think, four years ago. And there was a, we had co- talked about this in one of our earlier episodes, that this was coming up, and a lot of the speculation was that the court might just overturn that decision um, and seriously weaken uh, a person's ability to get an abortion. Um, the specifics of the law were that they required doctors who performed abortions to have admitting privileges at a hospital and there's really no safety benefit from that is just because it was just because the practical effect of that would shrink the number of abortion providers to almost zero and the supreme court um overturned the law and roberts joined the liberals in overturning it um, even though he dissented on the previous decision. And basically this time he just said, well, look, I believe in stare decisis. This was just decided four years ago, so uh, we're not overturning it right now. And, uh, you know, so that's that's a really good outcome, if if not the best legal analysis.
1: Uh, for those of us who, I mean, I think I can get from context, but for those who of us who aren't legal scholars and or pretentious, can you give us a definition
0: of stare decisis? A stare decisis just means uh, let the matter stand. Um, It's a guiding principle of Supreme Court interpretation. It's basically the idea that you don't want to change things really quickly, so if you just made a decision recently, you don't want to overturn it.
2: Hmm. One of the important aspects of law is that it is something that people can count on to not change radically uh, quickly. Uh, because if you have laws that change every week, you might as well not have any laws at all. So uh, I think it's a a good principle to have.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good principle. It's um, it's applied really inconsistently. So nobody can really tell you exactly what it means, um, or what it means to follow stare decisis. But yeah, my impression of Roberts is that he's very political. He likes to read the way the wind is blowing, and the way he's been behaving this term. Uh, really says to me that he does not want to be on the wrong side of history.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to (laughs) say.
0: Yeah. Uh, This decision, though, I'm kind of surprised, because abortion is one of the issues where uh, the public sentiment really hasn't changed all that much in the past 50 years. There's no definitive movement one way or another. So, you know, it's not clear that either side is going to be considered you know, horrible and monstrous 50 years from now. But if I had to pick one, it would probably be the anti-abortion side that loses traction. Ah,
2: I am just glad it came out this way because I consider abortion rights to be one of the fundamental uh, things our society depends on. Not abortion rights specifically, but uh, reproductive choice, the ability to choose when you reproduce uh, completely. And like right now, the... The right to have uh, abortion clinics is becoming less and less important since it's easier and easier just to order some drugs from India and do it at home, but still a good right to have. And God, I'm glad that our civilization
1: is going to keep going for a little longer. So so what I'm hearing is that Inyash is pro-murdering babies and Wes is willing to tolerate the presence (laughs) of people who are pro-murdering babies.
0: No, I'm also pro-baby murder. Oh, okay,
1: good. (laughs)
2: As long as the babies are under three months old and the parents
0: are the murderers, then yes. (laughs) Uh, God. All right. So the second thing that the Supreme Court did was they upheld a law punishing what are called faithless electors. Now, these are the people, because we live in a idiotic dystopia, uh, these are the people that actually cast votes for president. So we have the Electoral College. States nominate electors. Those electors go to a convention or whatever you call it. I don't know if it's a convention now. Um, But these these are the people that make up the Electoral College, and then they cast their votes for president. And the Supreme Court upheld laws that said states can require those people to cast votes for the person that the people voted for. Previously, you could sometimes have... Uh, What are called faithless electors who go to the the big meeting and, you know, vote their conscience instead of the people that they were, uh, that that the actual citizens voted for. And they like to make all kinds of silly statements. Um, You know, this has never been an issue. Uh, It's never been something that even ever came close to swinging an election. But it's probably good to be able to enforce regardless. And it gives a little bit of legal support to the national popular vote interstate compact which is something I am heavily in support of
1: sorry didn't it uh, didn't it like explicitly hamstring that cause if I understand right if a state popular vote is for candidate X and the national popular vote is for candidate Y then the law will make it easier to punish the electors if they vote for Y
0: Hold on, say that again.
1: So if um, if uh, a state signs onto the compact right. and uh, their state popular vote is for the Reds and the national popular vote is for the Blues and the electors vote for the Blues, then technically that's them being faithless electors because the faithful electors are the ones who vote for the state popular vote.
0: Right. So what the decision said was that states can choose to punish faithless electors. Um, states can pass laws that say you have to vote this way or else, you know, we'll we'll use the coercive power of the state against you. States don't have to have those laws. And if a state law, um, you know, by the terms of this decision, uh, if a state law says this is who you have you have to vote for the winner of the national popular vote then this decision gives some legal support to that being legal Hmm.
1: that's not what i've heard but i've heard it from non-lawyers so i'll take your word for it
0: all right well i'll take a closer look at it because i have not heard anything uh regarding that
1: i'll uh try to find the things i read and um if i can find them by tomorrow we'll post those in the show notes Otherwise, they might be somewhere at some point.
0: <laughs> All right.
2: Seeing as, like, right now we have a de facto popular vote, but split up by states, um, I guess this is a good thing. But really, I much preferred the original um, electors model, where the electors would, you know, pitch themselves to the people as like, hey, I will make this good decision for you. The people vote for the electors. And then the president presidential candidates try to convince the electors that they are the best presidential candidate uh, because, you know, then the electors who have all the extra time and expertise to compare different policies and different candidates can actually make an informed decision. Whereas now with basically a popular vote, it's just presidential candidates shouting tribal slogans at the populace and uh, things resolving that way. I'd much rather would like to eat, uh, elect you know a handful of elites in my state and those elites then spend the time and energy needed to make a good choice but i think that ship has sailed and will never get back there so sucks to be me
0: if you think in that situation actual elites would get nominated you have no idea how politics works <laughs> yeah, I, yeah
1: i will say i am uh, i am unap- unapologetically an elitist as well Uh, and the idea that an elector might turn faithless was one of the best remaining arguments for keeping the electoral college. Uh, I think there are some other good ones, but that's probably uh, something for a bonus episode at some point. Which, by the way, we're probably going to be starting a Patreon soon, so you won't keep getting those for free, you freeloaders.
2: (laughs) The Libertarian Utopia will come to this podcast.
0: Yes. Give us money.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, next story. Reddit is cracking down on subreddits that are in violation of their rules. And uh, they banned a bunch of subreddits, including r slash the Donald, which was the biggest Donald Trump subreddit, and also r slash Chapo Trap House, which was a kind of bro-y uh, uh, left-wing. Communist. Subreddit. <laughs> yeah, sure. Communist. Um, and and this seems to be done intentionally to appear even-handed. Um, but it's, it's basically... I, I, I don't even know what rules they're saying. They violated just a lot of hate speech, I think, was the main offense that most of these subreddits had engaged in. So... What do you guys think about that?
1: I don't give a fuck. <laughs> they're, a private co- they're a private company. It's their backyard. They can do whatever the hell they want with it. I'm not on Reddit that much. I don't care.
2: I agree they're a private company and they can do whatever they want. I think this is a bad and stupid thing because... I'd like for companies to uphold the principle of free speech for everyone, which is why I also am unhappy when private companies fire someone for saying anything at all on Twitter. Really, uh, so yeah, I, I think this is kind of shitty overall. But fuck it, this is the world we live in now. We, no one believes in free speech anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean, as a as a user, uh, you know, I don't I don't like this decision. Um, I think that. You know people should be able to say what they want and i don't like this trend of platforms becoming moderators of everything uh but it's also you know not something i'm super invested in
1: uh the podcast i'm going to shill this fortnight is the soho forum debates uh they did a debate on the proposition um should social media platforms like facebook twitter and youtube only remove remo- users who make true threats or incite violence, or do they have an ethical obligation to hold their users to a higher standard?" Um, the um, side arguing against the proposition was Thaddeus Russell, who I think was not a great uh, person, epistemically speaking, I don't know much about him morally, uh, but arguing um uh, that they should um, have strict uh, policies was Ken White, who runs the amazing blog uh, PopeHat.com and has the amazing podcast um, All the President's Lawyers and um, uh, Make No Law. Uh, He is a professional uh, First Amendment defense lawyer. Uh, so he definitely does understand and respect free speech and he was arguing that this sort of move is broadly speaking a good thing Uh, so I'd recommend that debate for uh, well for one side of the argument at least again I think Thaddeus Russell did not do a great job uh, on the other side of that but that might just be because like he was up against Ken White who is both incredibly smart and also a really good lawyer, and so, like, his literal job is persuading people of stuff.
2: I got a lot of love for Ken White. Can you give, like, a very brief uh, encapsulation of why he's for this sort of thing?
1: Yeah, basically, uh, it's been a while since I listened to it. The debate went up in 2018, and I haven't revisited it, but basically his argument was that um... Uh, As long as you don't have, like, government mandates, then you should just let, uh, basically just let a thousand flowers bloom, and um, let people go into communities where they feel happiest, and uh, for a lot of people that that means having strict policies about what they will and will not see on that platform. And, um, while it's really easy to see the people shrieking about how they're being censored by such and such tech company, uh, the, uh, actual harm that's done to the people who just never go on any social media because they're all full of Nazis or communists or whatever is a lot more significant and, uh, both just from a pure utilitarian standpoint, there's a lot more of those people. And so we should probably weight them heavier. Uh, And also um, uh, from a virtue perspective, those people are probably the people we should be more sympathetic to. Interesting.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I don't, I don't, like I said, I'm not too invested because um, I don't think Reddit is that valuable, a public square. You know, I think it, it, serves its purpose it's it's nice it's fine but if you know reddit became terrible i would probably just find a different website it'd be fine Uh, i get more worried when it's like facebook or twitter because they have these strong network effects that would be very hard to replace if their policies just got intolerable yeah i mean
1: this is why i'm such a big proponent of discord because like with discord you get because it's broken up into servers that are completely isolated from each other. Like you get, you know exactly what you're getting and the moderation policies of whatever server you're on are what they are. And you can just find the servers you like and completely ignore and never have to worry about the servers you don't.
2: Interesting. I, so, I mean, I'm, obviously part of the Basin Conspiracy server where we do almost no censorship, and I think we like it that way, but I also run a Warcraft Classic guild, and we have a very strong censorship stance there that uh, there's absolutely no tolerance for political talk because we're here to play a game and we don't want to be fucking having the culture wars in the middle of the Warcraft wars. Uh, And it's worked out really well for us, and if I was... I realize now that that is an extremely anti-free-speech stance that I have taken, but if the guild was not a place that was free from the culture wars, I wouldn't want to run it or be in it. And, uh... Huh. I guess I am walking way back from what I said just a few minutes ago.
0: Look at you, letting a thousand flowers bloom.
1: (laughs) Uh, I, I will, um... I will uh, just reiterate again that free speech is about preventing government censorship, and you don't need to be a crazy libertarian to think that there's a difference between government censorship and moderation policies on privately owned websites, Uh, and uh, Inyash, your newfound position is completely compatible with being a free speech absolutist.
0: I mean, I think it's a little reductive to say that free speech considerations only apply to the government. Um, I I think the the you know constitutional right to free speech certainly is a government thing, but the underlying ideas that uh, ideas are best when they have to fight it out in the marketplace of ideas. That certain once you start banning certain speech, then there's no Bright line you can draw that says, okay, well, this speech will always be okay and this speech isn't. Um, I think those apply to you know any kind of policy that you encounter in any space um, and should be considered.
2: And you can de facto ban things uh, that aren't literally banned by the government. I know a number of people who every now and then reach out to me and say, hey, thanks for saying that thing publicly. I personally can't say that sort of thing because I'm afraid of, you know, my friends or my family or my boss finding out. And it's it's stuff that I don't even consider very controversial. I'm like, are you kidding me? You lose friends over this? And they're like, yep, never going to say anything like that in public. <laughs> it's like, well, alrighty. righty.
1: Oh, I, I do think that there's special moral considerations that come into play when you start, like, actually employing violence uh, versus uh, just, like, People might not want to keep your company anymore, uh, but this is is getting into bonus episode territory.
2: Right, yeah. All right, I
0: hope someone's keeping track of all these bonus episodes we need to make. (laughs) Oh, don't worry, I am. Okay, good. Nice. All right, next story. China has approved a COVID-19 vaccine that it's using on its military. Now, one of my frustrations has been that um medical ethicists have been preventing these human trials uh in any effective way of covid19 vaccines um and that development could be sped up incredibly if you know we just let people volunteer to to do human trials um and i was i was wondering when i was reading about this sort of thing like china doesn't have the same hang-ups that we do about that sort of thing. So I wonder when they're going to start. And it looks like um, they are—they're starting. They're going to give this vaccine to their military, and maybe it'll work.
2: Does the so I haven't actually read through the story. Does the vaccine have bad side effects? Not that we know of. So it's literally just something that might work.
0: Um, they say they claim it's been through clinical trials that show it's safe and showed um, some efficacy they say
2: why why is
0: it unethical to
2: give that vaccine to americans then
1: yeah so uh because the cdc is bullshit um (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean this is the same song and dance that i i've said on a million other things like the cdc is way too conservative and the way that medical licensing and product liability and all that works in America is that, like, the legal standards are set by the CDC's far too conservative uh, metrics and given enough time, which apparently enough time has passed, those legal standards will trickle down to ethical standards and that's what's happened. And now it's completely unethical to do basic cost-benefit analyses with experimental medical treatments.
0: Yeah, my understanding is that it's legal to give people the vaccine, but it is not legal to intentionally expose them to the virus after they've taken it. So you can't tell if it works. Hmm.
2: Is there, so is there any way to buy this vaccine if you're not a
0: Chinese military person? No, not currently. But if it works, I would hope that... You know, everyone around the world would start producing it. Yeah. Hopefully, China won't hoard it all for themselves and refuse to give out the, uh, you know, the, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you have for a vaccine? A recipe? A uh, uh, molecular structure? Whatever. The information.
2: I hope this vaccine works and and doesn't have any me- negative side effects.
0: Yeah. It would be great.
1: If it does. I, I will awesome. say, the one takeaway from this whole debacle is that you should trust China? So um <laughs> wait,
2: aren't they also the people who said that it wasn't human to human transmissible? No, no, in they the never said weeks? that.
0: Uh-huh. China never lied about anything. I want to be very clear about that, and they are good and awesome.
1: <laughs> and Russia didn't meddle in the 2016 election. Uh yeah, so I especially given uh the Hong Kong stuff that we're going to talk about in a second here i would not be that surprised if it turned out that this was just china trying to posture that they're going to have a capable military before anyone else will um again given that they have laxer ethical standards for better or for worse about human trials of medications that it might be true but also it might just be a uh real politique move of them trying to uh look like their military is more robust than it is
0: yeah could definitely be that so we will keep an eye on it and we will pu- we'll report back if there are any new developments uh all right other coronavirus news eniash did you share this goldman sachs report In fact, that was me, yes. Okay, tell us about that.
2: So uh, Goldman Sachs uh, has a report. They did research, I guess. I'm not sure exactly who they consulted or what they did. But they spent money and time on this thing uh, and found that the report concludes that mandatory mask usage would reduce COVID spread by about 60% and save approximately 5% of American gross domestic product uh, loss, which is just fucking huge. Um, so I think that is amazing. I am, I I was, uh, what, two weeks ago, I think, maybe a month ago, talking about how awesome Colorado is that everyone here is wearing masks. Uh, COVID is still not a problem in Colorado. And so some people have been getting lax. I've been seeing people without masks lately and it always kind of makes me upset. I am particularly angry at myself for sitting across from someone who was helping me, uh, for a good 20 minutes who had their mask around their chin and not saying anything. And, like, in retrospect, I'm like, what what was stopping me? Was it just politeness? Like, if there's no laws, all we have is social pressure. And I was the customer at that point. I could have said, you know – please put your mask over the breathing holes part of your face or I would like to be helped by someone else. And I didn't because I'm a coward and I suck and I will try not to be in the future. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, this mask thing is apparently a pretty big deal according to Goldman Sachs, which is an agency I would trust more than pretty much any government agency since they actually have some incentive to get these things right. Now,
0: I do not trust Goldman Sachs. I think they could have any, you know number of uh reasons for putting out this report um so i'm just as skeptical of them as i am of the uh, cdc but that said
1: sorry uh, just as skeptical because uh, goldman sachs did not make it illegal to test for a coronavirus for five weeks
0: no but goldman sachs you know lies about lots of other stuff they're not a trustworthy organization wait do they
1: uh, oh, yeah. Th- yeah, they were one of the credit agencies behind the um, uh, 2008 financial crisis.
2: Oh. Okay. You
0: yeah. Know, the ones out there saying, oh, yeah, these investments are super safe. AAA. I didn't realize that was them. It's it was just
1: them. It, like, it was every credit oh, no, agency. So every... they're not especially bad for credit raters, but. There are also credit raters, which does put uh, fairly strict bounds on how trustworthy they can be. Yeah. Or wait, no, no, no sorry, sorry, sorry. That was wrong. Forget what I just said. Goldman <laughs> was one of the banks giving the loans, right? And saying they were good to their customers when they weren't.
0: Right. Uh, so anyway, you know, I I do, however, I'm less skeptical of this report um because i th- i've been seeing a lot of information suggesting that ma- mask wearing is effective um i think the m- part i'm most skeptical of is that they are saying that a national mandate would cause people to actually wear the masks which i guess probably depends on the penalty but probably if trump just came out full-throated support for masks more people would wear them so that seems plausible too
1: yeah but that would uh that would cover up his ever so gorgeous lip injections and his glorious double chin so he's never gonna do that
0: you can get a mask that doesn't cover your chin that's not an important bit i think
1: i don't know i think
2: having a mandate would Help at least. Uh, I know a lot of people would ignore it, but it seems so. This is the the sub uh, subtopic that I have under this that lockdowns actually do seem to make a difference, as opposed to uh, what David had been saying earlier, because as we've seen in the South, once they reopened everything, uh, it just exploded the the COVID infection rate and in retrospect, it sort of makes sense that the government can't stop people from going out and doing stuff unless they're willing to be, you know, incredibly draconian like a Chinese government would be. But they can stop businesses from opening, which reduces greatly the amount of places people can go. So even if people are exercising their freedom to go out and do whatever the fuck they want, they ain't going to be going to bars and theaters and stuff if those have been shut down. Uh, I think the fact that we saw how much of a jump there was in infections once those places were reopened and the fact that they're closing them down again now does does strongly suggest that lockdowns do have an effect in reducing transmission rates
1: yeah so i i think i talked about this briefly before i'm not convinced that uh COVID sp- uh, sp- suddenly spiking in the South has to do with anything other than just basic demography and geography. Um, and also, like, the really important thing is total numbers of deaths. And uh, flattening the curve was about making sure medical capacity isn't exceeded. And. Um, trying to push as many potential infections until after we have a vaccine as possible, but now it looks like we won't be getting a vaccine for at least a year, um, or at least until next year. Uh, and um, even in New York, which was the hardest hit, like we didn't get that, we didn't get, we didn't exceed medical capacity, and I don't think we got terribly close to doing so, if I remember right. So, um, like, uh, again, I, I see lockdowns in the best case scenario as more moving deaths around in time rather than, um, rather than preventing deaths. And, like, moving them back in time is not nothing, but, uh, it's not... Uh, it's not preventing deaths either and um, declaring victory when the game's half over is not a great plan. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just uh, advising caution.
0: I'm also pretty skeptical of interpreting the data from, you know, the South and the West um, that's as, that the spikes were caused by lifting of lockdowns. Um, it seems as though those places are following the same pattern that everywhere else has. They were just infected later. And it's
2: true. I will say like California has been following the same pattern as the uh, East coast. And yet they are also having a spike.
0: Exactly. Despite... And, and California was one of the ones that locked down early.
2: Yeah. And stayed locked down for the most part.
0: So it, it, you know, So when you look at what's happening, it, you, if you look at the graphs, they're all kind of the same. They start out low, um, you get exponential growth for a tiny, tiny bit, then you just get linear growth, then you plateau, then you get a slow decline. And that seems to be the pattern that happens no matter what the government policy is. And that's does seem to be what's going on in the American South and the American West right now.
2: I just find it suspicious... I hate the word just. I apologize for using it. I do find it suspicious that the spike in corona de- uh, infections happened right about the time that the lockdowns were lifted. That is suggestive to me of a of a tie between the
0: two. Yeah, it's certainly possible, but I wouldn't draw too many conclusions from it.
1: Yeah, it's Bayesian evidence that there's a connection, but I'm not sure that it's terribly strong Bayesian evidence.
2: I will say that if this Chinese vaccine works and people can start importing it on the black market in the next three months, it totally will be worth it to push out deaths past three months from now.
1: Very much agree on that. But again, I'm skeptical of the uh, of the um, if in the if then statement.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, interestingly, you uh, you almost said coronavirus deaths and then corrected yourself to infections. Uh, yes. And it's a good thing you did, because as we <laughs> talked about two weeks ago, deaths are still falling while infections are skyrocketing. And nobody knows why. Um, we thought, you know, since we talked about it two weeks ago, we said maybe, you know, the, the infection rate hasn't caught up with the death rate yet. Um, but it, if it was going to happen, it should have happened by now. And it's very mysterious as to why the deaths keep falling and the infection rate keeps climbing.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, my my pet theory, which is consistent with everything I've seen, though I haven't looked into this in a ton of detail, is that is just that uh, younger people are getting infected. And um, I can speculate as to why that is. I think it's possible that we've finally gotten the message beaten into the heads of all but the most die-hard uh, COVID denialists that, like, they really do need to just talk to their relatives on the phone and not see them face-to-face especially their elderly and vulnerable relatives um, but yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that there's not going to be a mystery there fairly soon.
0: Alright, well we'll keep an eye on it. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, David, you had a story about ICE policy.
1: Yep, Uh, so um, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement put out their policy on on, uh, what their post-pandemic policy would be for uh, international students taking online classes. Previously, their policy was dumb and overly restrictive, but largely inoffensive. It was that only one online class could count towards being a full-time student, um, uh, which, being a full-time student, is a requirement for remaining in the country on a student visa. Their new policy is exactly the same as the old one. Uh, Which means that if you're an international student who uh, is at a university where they're doing only online classes, then you need to find enrollment at a different university or find a way out of the country. And if you're a student at a university doing a mix of online and offline classes, you need to enroll for a bunch of in-person classes. And if you're old or sick or otherwise um, worried about your health, then you can find a way to get out of the country. And the best proposal I've seen to address this is that every university should uh, make a class called Fuck Ice 101. Uh, to meet one time per semester with excused absences allowed. Uh, fuck ICE 102 to be um, uh, to be planned in the spring as the situation develops.
0: Uh, that does seem like a very bad policy.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, that wouldn't actually help the international students at all, though, because they still couldn't take more than one online class, right?
1: Uh, so... There is a way that you could finagle it, but it has to do with bureaucracy of education stuff that I have deliberately avoided learning because...
0: uh... That is an excellent reason. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, All right. Speaking of... uh, 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 We have another story about China. Yay. David, you want to take this one?
1: Yep. Uh, so a few episodes ago, uh, my troop deployment was talking about the idea of Hong Kong 2.0, which was basically that if so, China had a quote-unquote national security law in the works, which uh, would basically end a domestic rule in Hong Kong as we've known it for the past 25 years I think, Uh, 26, Um, uh, and that law has gone into effect. It's actually worse than a lot of people were afraid of. Um, uh, It basically gives China complete authority to do whatever they want in Hong Kong, up to and including quelling riots with military force. Uh, But, uh, if you want to uh, go ahead and wrap this into uh, the happy news section, I talked about that national security law in the context of a proposal from Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, uh, that we should, uh, or that they would allow any uh, Hong Kongers who were, uh, who had Uh, British passports from when it was a colony or who were ever eligible to get them and at the time I was skeptical that that would actually happen if the Chinese law passed and uh, Boris and the British Parliament pleasantly surprised me and actually did pass that law. Uh, It also allowed uh, the dependents of those people to live and work in Hong Kong uh, with a path to citizenship specified. So, uh, yeah. Boo China, yay Britain.
2: It's awesome, and that's uh, it says it's going to be 3 million people or so will have the right to, to emigrate to uh, Britain then, right?
1: Yes, uh, around 3 million.
2: Which is like, what, 40% of Hong Kong?
1: Yeah. Uh... I, the number I heard is a third, but I haven't independently checked that. Uh, that seems weirdly low, considering that would, like, so the the age bracket you're looking there, uh, for people who wouldn't be eligible, would be people who are older than whatever the age of majority is, I assume like 16 to 18, but younger than 26. Because if you were born in Hong Kong before the handover, which I believe was in 94, um, then you're eligible to migrate under this program. Uh, And that seems like a lot of people to be in a fairly narrow age bracket, but it's also the number I've seen passed around a lot, uh, so it's the one I'm going with until I get more clarity around it.
0: Now, sadly, they won't be giving them a charter city and allowing them to make their own rules, but, you know. That
1: is a bummer, but I'll take what I can get.
0: All right, and you had a second piece of happy news for us, right?
1: And the third. Um, yeah, so, uh, good news in the occupational licensing reform front. Uh, I'm sure it will surprise precisely no one that I detest occupational licensing, And uh, Pennsylvania has um, passed a law banning, uh, I believe the exact wording was vague and indeterminate language uh, in occupational licensing. A lot of licensing boards have some sort of demonstration of good character requirement, which in practice means that they won't give licenses to convicted felons. Um, and Pennsylvania has uh, abolished those requirements by law. So uh, if you are a Pennsylvanian who wants to become an accountant, a hairdresser, an electrician, or any of, I believe, a dozen other jobs, your prospects just got a whole lot better.
0: Sadly, lawyers will still have to show they have the character and fitness to practice law.
1: Womp womp um and uh florida also passed a very sweeping occupational license reform um theirs was more like what i want to see which is uh it's less about eliminating certain specific dumb rules and just getting rid of the whole damn lot of them um uh it uh i don't think it has eliminated occupational licensing but it's gotten rid of a lot of the red tape and unnecessary class requirements and that sort of thing uh for uh again your typical licensed professions hairdressing um interior designing i believe also like accounting and um that sort of thing uh, dietitians and nutritionists. I'm just perusing the article that'll be in the show notes uh, as we record this.
0: I, yeah, I think this will be very uh, disappointing to Moloch Day, but I think all three hosts are in agreement that um, occupational licensing can be uh, loosened by a lot. Why would this be disappointing to Moloch?
1: I think that was just a cheap shot because he's clearly a statist based on his Reddit post.
0: Oh. I, oh no, I think I, I think he was. He, his His post was about how it's sad that you know the very like the pro government side is not uh, represented that well
2: well, you can be very pro government and still think occupational licensing isn't a thing that the government should do for most of these occupations
0: yeah i mean if you're at all reasonable, I think you will not think <laughs> that our current yeah. occupational licensing rules um are optimal. I like the Florida one a lot more than the Pennsylvania
2: one, because in Pennsylvania, couldn't they just make it a law that now you can't have a felony conviction if you want to get this license? Because before it was just like getting rid of vague wording, right?
1: So, so <laughs> it was it was getting rid of vague wording with the explicit intent that it uh, do away with the um, requirements that you uh, not be a felon. I. I don't yeah, know the yeah. details, and Wes, if you are more familiar with the law here, please uh, chime in. But I think there's a law specifically saying you can't explicitly discriminate based on for that kind of thing based on whether someone uh, is a convict or a former convict.
0: Well, the I think the relevant detail here is that what ha- what what happened was that a law was passed. This is a statute that was passed by the legislature um so they could certainly pass a law that overturns it and puts in different rules but right now these are the rules this was not a judicial decision okay i'm just
2: like what would stop the licensing boards from now saying explicitly if you have a felony we will not give you a license except for maybe a law is there a law in the books that says you can't discriminate based on Former convict status?
1: Again, I'm not positive, and I'm no lawyer, uh, and I haven't specifically looked into this, but I think there is. So, grain of salt there, but I think so, yes.
2: If nothing else, it would force them to explicitly say we are anti-former convicts, and that would be a bad look for most people, I guess. Like, in general, doesn't society have this, this agreement that once someone has served their time, they should be allowed to reintegrate?
1: I think our society has that general agreement. American society <laughs> not so much.
0: Yeah. Um but I think I my impression of this bill, I haven't read the statutory language, is that it makes it pretty clear that a criminal record is not a reason to deny someone a license. Um, and if that if that happens, if I if licensing boards decide to do that, um that will be then I will be very disappointed in reporting on this bill. Certainly. All right. Well, I am. I am happy with our happy news this week. All right. All right. So that brings us to troop deployments, and we will start with David.
1: Yeah. So I've been in a weirdly pessimistic mood recently, and I'm not sure exactly why. And like, I I personally am doing fine. So, like love and support and tolerance are always, uh, appreciated, but there's no reason to, like, go out of your way for this. But I just have, like, the sneaking suspicion that we might be completely and utterly fucked. Like, (laughs) mostly where this is coming from is, uh, around the pandemic. Like, this was, like, as far as, um like, X-Risk, and just generally, like, having a functional society. This was, like, the easiest possible layup. Like, there was almost no way we could have possibly fucked this up. And somehow we did. And, like, just going back to uh, um uh, an earlier point, wearing masks can if this report is correct reduce spread by 60% and save 5% of GDP and there's not really anyone that would be bad for and yet 30-40% to of the country would think that I am if not their personal enemy at least as far as color politics goes their enemy just for saying that fact and like What the actual fuck? And if that's where we are, how the hell are we going to be able to do literally anything? And that's why I signed up for Cryon. Or I uh, had a consultation that will lead to, probably lead to me signing up for Cryonics on Thursday. Because God knows this time is not looking great so best thing I can hope for is that when the mobs kick down my door and shoot me in the chest, they'll be able to freeze my brain and I'll wake up in a better time. Damn, David. Yeah, I did sign up for full body cryo though, so uh, per the uh, per the recommendation of uh, of um Rudy something or other, who was a guest on a recent ish episode of the Basian Conspiracy which you should go listen to. Hoffman. Hoffman. Thank you. Really Hoffman.
0: All right. Strong words. words. Eniash, your troop deployment.
2: My troop deployment is based off of just some conversations that were had after the most recent Bayesian Conspiracy episode. Uh, A lot of what it seemed to come down to was that uh, people conflate actual racism and systemic racism a lot. Uh, on both sides, in fact. And I think this is in large part due to the fact that the word racism is in both of them. And, like, actual racism is what people think of when someone says racism. It's people hating other people for their race, or at the very least being discriminatory against other people for their race. Whereas systemic racism is much more along the lines of infrastructure that is not there, uh, ways that society is structured to help people of certain um, certain demographics and not those of others and that a lot of the structure is due to a legacy of racism in the past which has built up this social infrastructure for certain people and either prevented the building up or the or actually torn it down for other people such as when they burned tulsa oklahoma uh... but i don't think it should be called systemic racism because the two tend to be conflated so much it leads to a lot of problems in trying to discuss these things where people can't even talk in good faith with each other because of the emotions that it comes up so i would like to propose that no one ever use the word systemic racism again due to this problem and replace the latter with some other term uh... my personal suggestion is destruction of social infrastructure whenever you would say systemic racism Something along those lines, but yeah, I I don't think it is fair to say that uh, a black person who wants to live in the inner city is contributing to systemic racism because they have chosen to live in the city.
1: Here,
0: here. All right. And uh, my soldier, I'm sending out today, which unlike you guys covers important issues, (laughs) is that... Actually, I agree with you.
1: I'm sorry, does does vague senses of dread and ennui not count as important issues?
0: Uh, no, the fate of the world is not important. What's important is that HBO will not show Muhammad on South Park. Because they are fucking cowards. Because they are cowards. Recently, HBO Max has gotten the rights to show the entire backlog of South Park, um, which is a fantastic show. And if you haven't heard of it, I I don't know where you've been for the last 20 years. Um, but they have five episodes that feature the Prophet Muhammad. The first one, um, it's not a b- they don't make a big deal out of it at all. They had to have a, a group of they call them the Super Best Friends. It's like the Justice League, but it's all um, religious deities and prophets, and Muhammad's just there. He's one of the one of the five. Um, and the other four are there's are two two part episodes, basically making fun of Comedy Central who was the, uh, the, sh- the channel they were on, for refusing to show Muhammad. And Muhammad is a character in each one, but he's got a black bar over him. Um, so they don't actually show a depiction of him. Um, and this is really sad because uh, th- one of the two-part episodes, it's called Cartoon Wars, is one of the best episodes of South Park there is, where they just completely demolish the show Family Guy. Um, and the other two-parter that they won't show has a whole subplot where celebrities are trying to steal Muhammad's ability to somehow not get made fun of. <laughs> and it ends with this big speech that, that, that Kyle makes, as he usually does on the show, about how cowardly Comedy Central is for not showing Muhammad. Um, and... Comedy Central was already being cowardly by insisting that they um, keep the black bar across him um, or in another scene, they just refused to show the entire scene and it just, it a, a big um, black screen goes across and it says in this scene, <laughs> Muhammad appears. Um, it's really ridiculous. And, um, but HBO has gone one step further and won't even show those episodes, which I think is just craven and cowardly and ridiculous. Is
2: there any way to see those episodes at all? Are they on Comedy Central still, or are they gone entirely?
0: Oh, there are ways. And if anyone wants them, you can send me an email.
2: Uh, I I would like to go. We should probably talk about this afterwards. But I would like to go a step beyond and actually provide a link to to a pirate site that has them.
0: Uh, we'll go to the just Google the Pirate Bay. And you can find Mm -hmm. a torrent link. Um, And you shouldn't do that because it's illegal.
2: No, everyone should go and download these and spread them as far and wide as possible because fuck HBO Max and fuck cowardly people and fuck murderers who would threaten to kill people for drawing Muhammad as well.
0: Yeah, and now, bear in mind, only one of these episodes actually features an image of Muhammad. Uh, So they're just being especially cowardly. Uh, by not showing the, the the episodes that don't even have an image of Muhammad, just uh uh suggestions of an image of Muhammad.
2: Yeah, it, it's bullshit, and they should be and affected as much as possible. Did you guys uh partake with um partake in everyone draw Muhammad Day
0: back after Charlie Hebdo? I did not. I think I shared some stuff. I didn't actually uh, make any original artwork.
1: Yeah, I did not, but it was only because I am terrible at drawing,
0: and
1: (laughs) me trying to draw Mohammed would be, uh, not in, not like as bad, but in the same general ballpark as the people shooting good artists for drawing Mohammed.
2: Well, my, my drawing of him was so bad that I had to have a speech bubble off of him saying, I am Muhammad, so people would know who it
1: is. <laughs>
0: but, yeah, there was, was a lot of that. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, this uh, this issue is still around, and companies are being even more cowardly these days.
2: Seems to be a thing that's in vogue right now, being cowardly and... Uh, and buckling under absolutely any sort of pressure indeed
0: all right well that's our show for this week um you can rss us on basically any uh platform that hosts podcasts um or on feedburner um you can please leave us a review if you love us or hate us we'll accept uh any any opinion that you have on uh Uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or whatever platform you use that hosts reviews. Um, And we will be back in two weeks. Same rat time, same rat channel. See ya. Bye. Bye.